welcome to the latest episode of the Hollywood to Hollywood podcast with your hosts, Emma and Jake D'Souza. Hello. Before we get started, I want to do a shout out to our patron, Neil. Shout out to Neil. Hi, Neil. Hi, Neil. And uh, for anyone else that wants to sponsor the podcast, you can do so by going to our Patreon page in the show notes. This week, we wanted to discuss moving to rural Ireland. So the uh, concept of the podcast name was taken from Jake coming from Hollywood in Los Angeles to Northern Ireland, where we have our own Hollywood, which is uh, Hollywood with one less L. Hmm. But we went one step further recently. Having lived in Belfast for a number of years, we have uh, relocated to County Fermanagh, putting a whole new spin on Jake's plunge into living in Ireland compared to living in uh, Los Angeles. <laughs> Some change. <laughs> but uh, so we wanted to discuss a few of the things that we learned living in this part of the country. Um, and uh, we did the move right before Christmas, which was perhaps on reflection, not the best time to move. Quite chaotic um, and quite cold. But uh, we're now well settled in and we'll begin by discussing some of the challenges that we faced in moving to County Fermanagh. Um, we live out in the countryside, a good few miles from any local villages, not towns. Um, and one of the biggest challenges we faced was getting access to broadband. That was one of the hardest challenges I've had to endure in my adult life, maybe even <laughs> my entire life. I'm a slave to the internet. I can I could admit that now. We didn't really think about um, access to the internet when considering moving to this um, area. We didn't think it was going to be much of a problem. That just uh, shows you how spoiled we were having lived in the city for most of our lives, thinking that access to internet was just like standard. And then we come out here and her, her connection speed dropped from like, what, 190 to like 15 tops. Fast internet should be a human right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it proved to be quite difficult. And obviously during COVID-19, many people are working from home, us included, and not having reliable internet access was proving to be quite concerning. It took a number of weeks to try and find a provider that was going to be able to give us anything near to a workable speed. And even that is pretty low compared to what you would get in any of the cities. We ended up having to get a uh, satellite put onto a roof um, and connect to a mobile data network. Um, it was quite complicated and yeah. a big change from, you know, just calling up, you know, Virgin or BT or whatever and being like, hey, can you like turn on the internet? Um, it proved quite difficult. And it raises a whole question around accessibility to internet access in rural parts of Ireland. Many people are working from home, and I imagine that uh, we're not alone in really struggling to get a decent internet connection. For some people, they may not be able to get access at all, or certainly not access enough to be able to work from home. And that creates in its own self quite um, a barrier in terms of like equality and access to services. Yeah, you can't even uh, perform from home jobs that require the internet that, you know, the same person, if they lived in uh, a different town or city, would easily be able to take advantage of. So certainly that was um, a whole challenge in and of itself. I suppose the, the next biggest challenge we faced was the fact that uh, because we live so far removed from any of the local villages or towns, suddenly we realized we couldn't order any takeout. Maybe that was actually the hardest challenge of my entire life. I miss a chippy. A chippy. So you've already moved away from uh, what you would have typically thought of getting for takeout in Los Angeles. 
Trunai officially considering a chippy my, as what you missed. Now, that is interesting. You yeah. have officially been converted. I've been converted. No longer. I've, I'm well past the uh, withdrawals from delivery sushi stage. Now it's just give me a fucking cheeseburger. I, <laughs> I, I really could go for a gravy chip. Oh, geez. Well, yeah, you'll not be getting those delivered to the high side here. That's for sure. And it was um, quite difficult, I think, for you to accept, Jake. I think you might have called uh, a number of um, local takeaways and restaurants for a while, desperate uh, to find one, just one, that might deliver here. Yeah, we, uh, I guess it was really just me because I was desperate. And we were able to find uh, a very small handful and by a small handful, I mean like one or two that were willing to deliver to us, um, but at a price. The, a high price. Yeah, the Thai place that uh, was willing, like partially willing. They said they'd have to talk to their driver. I guess it depended on the night. Um, we'd have to call like well in advance. Uh, and if they were willing to do it, it would be 25 pounds on top of whatever we'd order from a Thai place. And for anyone familiar with Thai food prices, that was going to be an expensive night. Yeah, it was not worth it. Oh, yeah, it now we just cold. make our own Thai food. <laughs> yeah, we just make our own Thai food, which, you know, not not quite the same, but uh, hey. at least it comes warm. <laughs> um, yeah, so we had to accept the inevitability of just not being able to order fast food anymore. And even if we had found somewhere that could have delivered to us, they would never have found the house because no. in 2013, um, the council in County Fermanagh, renumbered the houses. And we were not aware of this before moving to the area. And it has created quite a lot of confusion over what house number we actually are. Because half the people in County Fermanagh appear to have kept their old house numbers, half have taken their new house numbers, and nobody knows where anyone's house is. So it's proven to be quite challenging in that regard too. So we're like in this magical in-between land where, you know, you can't really quite find us. I think <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> um, another thing that we didn't consider before moving to County Fermanagh was the lack of walking spaces. So when you think about moving to the countryside, you know, you are moving into an area where you have all this open space and this peace and tranquility and the countryside and the fields. You're away from all the uh, city noises. You hear the birds. You uh, see woodland critters wandering around. Yeah, it's magical. But um, before we moved, I had been running on a regular basis in the city. And when I came out here, I realized that if I wanted to continue running, I would have to do so on the road. And for anyone that lives in Ireland or has visited, you'll know that people drive quite erratically in the countryside <laughs> at very high speeds. Um, and the roads are barely for two cars. Uh, they're, they're supposed to be, but they're really <laughs> not very wide. And so it was a bit um, of an unexpected anxiety over this idea of going out for my runs, but on the road in the countryside in an area where there's lots of corners, lots of hills, and therefore lots of risk. And I didn't run for a few months until one morning in the snow, <laughs> Jake spotted someone out on the road running up the hill. And I was basically, you know, hands on the glass, staring out the window longingly, just so delighted to see that another person was brave enough to take the plunge. And if they were running in the snow, then they must be a regular runner. So after that, I took the plunge and started running on the road and had to change what I would do back in the city in that I no longer can run with music 
and I have to change how I run and cross the road at particular corners or hills and be very aware of the surrounding noises and um, any presence of cars coming close by. So it's different, it's but like a, good. It's, it's good, but it's a trade-off because... You know, you used to have the comfort of being able to run, uh, feel safe pretty much anywhere in Belfast, whereas here you have arguably a more beautiful and more uh, serene environment to run in, but it's not conducive for running because of the dangers of no running space and uh, cars flying by that have blind spots everywhere. Yeah, that's it. And um, not something... That ever came into my mind when thinking about moving to the countryside. And in reality, you don't have any footpaths, you don't have any streetlights, you don't have safe walking spaces. So if you wanted to go for, say, an afternoon walk and you wanted to feel safe, you would realistically have to get in the car and drive somewhere. Yeah. And then go for a walk in like a in a park or something. Yeah, we're you told know? that there are you know uh, walking paths in wooded areas, mm-hmm. or there there's trails and things, but they're all a, a good distance. So you it it requires that you have a car and or at least have someone that can drive you. Um, this is not me at all. I'm I don't fall into this category. But for those of you who have the natural inclination to want to get some exercise, having that extra step right at you know, right out the door, literally, can can be a damper on that. Yeah, and it brings uh, brings me into another point about um, accessibility and the lack of public transport in the Northwest. I feel like we're kind of late to the conversation around the Northwest being completely abandoned because I know it's been ongoing for decades. I've heard it in the background, but as someone who was you know, spoilt and living in an accessible city where I could take public transport, you know, it was just something I was aware of, but never really understood. And very quickly discovered that now that we're living in County Fermanagh, well, it's pretty hard to get around unless you have a car. And that raises a question around the fact that people that live in the Northwest, in Fermanagh and Donegal, are in essence required to have a car. Because there's just so few buses and so few train links. I mean, the railway system is completely absent in the northwest of the island. And that makes it really difficult for people. Imagine if, you know, you're a household and, you know, you're a husband and wife and you both have jobs that require you to travel to work. Well, then you require two cars. And that in itself raises another question around, is that putting people under poverty lines because they're required to spend all of this extra money to keep at least one, if not two cars, just to be able to get around and access services? Right, the same services that would be available to people in the city uh, without the need for any sort of a car. Yeah. And I mean, in the early 1900s, Ireland had an envious train network that spanned every county. Um, But nowadays, the rail network only covers the east of Northern Ireland. And um, the good news is that as part of New Decade, New Approach, there is going to be a strategic review looking at an all-island rail network. And boy, it cannot come fast (laughs) enough. And I so hope that this has not become another political talking shop where they speak about bringing forward, uh, you know, rail network connections. And then 10 years from now, they're still having that conversation. Uh, Like so much in politics in Northern Ireland Mm. um, doesn't really get anywhere because it is quite difficult. And as someone who um, will be working in Dublin whenever we're finally allowed to return to the office, getting to Dublin from County Fermanagh, 
Boy, that is going to be hard. It's going to be hard on both of us because one of us doesn't drive. Well, you know, when I lived in Belfast, I wasn't required to drive because I could just take a bus to get anywhere. That's right. Uh, The other thing that will hopefully be changing in the near future, the next uh, year or so, will be the access and availability of um, high-speed internet. With uh, There's several different companies that are going to be bringing, I think, fiber optic uh, and yeah, I think there's Fibrous is one of them. Yeah, that's moving out here in 2022, 2023. So yeah, a, l- a little ways off, but I mean, any progress is uh, welcome. It can only get better. I remember actually reflecting on um, when we were still in the midst of trying to get uh, an internet provider, and Jake was in a local shop and was chatting to the shop assistant and complaining about the internet and said. Um, Oh, you know, it was like 15 megabytes per second. And the guy in the shop said... Oh, he said that was great. Yeah, it was like 15 megabits. That's like, that's, pre- that's pretty good. <laughs> if if you want to actually work from home doing, you know, call center work or anything that requires uh, doing virtual meetings, there's no way you could do that with 15 megabits per second. It just, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And um, when we had basically no internet connection... We were realizing just how much we relied on it. I mean, for everything, like from streaming to, you know, music to everything. Yeah, it was just, it was definitely a dark time in moving um, was realizing that there were these um, negative aspects, I suppose, that we hadn't really considered. Did we find somewhere that we loved? We thought it was going to be a dream and it is a dream, but we didn't foresee challenges around accessibility, around internet access, around access to services, um, and, of course, around the inability to get a chippy. Don't remind me. But moving on to maybe perhaps some of what we have um, learned over the past few months in terms of what's been beneficial about moving to the countryside. And it is a trend that we're seeing um, all across the island of Ireland and elsewhere where people who have spent the past 15 months or however long we've now been coping with this pandemic, have been um, working from home and realizing that, you know, home could do with a little bit more space. Yeah. uh, (laughs) The the walls close in a little bit. Just a little bit. And I think, um, you know, we were lucky enough in the city that we still had a small garden, but many people that live in the cities are in apartments or in areas don't have any access to gardens or any kind of greenery. And I think when you've been locked in for a long period of time, you begin to really appreciate uh, the outdoors in a different way. And there was also a realization that there was more flexibility in work as well. Many companies had to very quickly adapt to moving to working from home policies. And I think that whenever we do return to some kind of normalcy, a lot of companies will maintain a sort of blended approach to um, having people come into the office, people working from home. So this gave the option to many families and individuals to reconsider the living arrangements and think about moving out of the city into somewhere a little bit more scenic. And I suppose we're one of those families. Plus, we have three dogs and we just knew that they needed the space as well. And um, yeah, County Fermanagh was not the county we were looking at. Um, We thought maybe it was a little bit too far away from the city, but we find a place that changed our minds. Exactly. And um, it... It was the it was the right decision for our mental health, and uh, I mean maybe maybe even for our actual health because I could definitely do with a few fewer chippy deliveries 
that hasn't stopped me expanding though i think i've made up for it by <laughs> eating a bunch of farm fresh eggs and all the uh all well that. you can still get a surprising amount of deliveries we actually were joking recently about the fact that we were able to get philly cheesesteaks from a restaurant in london delivered yeah but we can't get from the local chippy or chinese or yeah. any anywhere nearby nine minutes away um we can order um kopi which was one of our favorite restaurants back in belfast we can order food from there for home um can still get from my favorite um cheese shop which is mike's fancy cheese in belfast they deliver out here yeah um we can get stuff delivered from dublin from restaurants we had mexican food we had like tamales delivered oh yeah we have tamales actually coming again so oh, yes stock them up and put them in the freezer yeah which is like really, really cool, but also weird that, that that's easily available. But if we wanted to get the, the Chinese in town, it would require physically going to the Chinese in town. Which you have done on more than one occasion. Yes. Desperate times. Desperate times. <laughs> but I suppose that might change in future. I mean, many restaurants have um, had to bring in delivery um, systems in terms of like trying to deliver as, as broadly as they can and as widely as they can because of the fact that they've been closed for so long. And I have noticed that a few of the restaurants that were doing at-home services or delivery services have stopped them now that they've reopened. So perhaps um, once we return to some kind of normalcy, we will be uh, mourning the loss of being able to access those um, restaurant services at home. It's a give and a take. Then on to some of the more positive aspects. I mean, what's it been like for you, Jake, when you think about living in Los Angeles? And now living here. Specifically here in... Specifically the middle of nowhere in Ireland. I love it. I like one of my favorite feelings uh, in Los Angeles. And I don't know, this is probably weird. I'm, I've always I've always been a, like a homebody. And I always like the idea of there being fun stuff happening and action all around. But I like being in my little cozy spot away from everything and knowing that there is still a bustling world out there but i'm safely tucked away in uh in a little spot a little cozy area and now living here i am in probably the coziest spot and i'm very far away from the action <laughs> and i like that there you know people are out there doing fun stuff and running around and you know getting getting things done and i can get stuff done too but like inside and i like that if i do want to pop outside which was another one of my favorite things in Los Angeles. I have a a really beautiful outside to look at. Like back in LA, there was a a, a nice cozy little um, like patio area that that was at the last place we were living, um, and it was enclosed. It had a little gate. Uh, it was very small, but it was you know scenic. It was beautiful. It had a nice jacaranda tree overhanging. I love jacaranda trees. They're really pretty. Um, and it was very uh, picturesque and, and cozy, and it didn't necessarily even feel very much like being in Los Angeles. It was like a special little area. Um, and I loved that. That was such a nice thing to be able to pop outside and see. But now we have that on a much larger scale. We have little cozy areas, but there's also beautiful mountains and uh, hills that we can look at that you'd never be able to see, um, at least from the areas that we were able to afford to live in in Los Angeles. And uh, we're, I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty sure I speak for both Emma and myself when I say that we're very, very happy to be uh, in an environment like this here. 
Yeah, you actually take me to another point that I forgot to raise was another big um, change for us was the fact that when we went out at night with the dogs, we could see the stars like yeah. really clearly. Right. Like it's incredible because when you're living in the city, there's just so much artificial light that's reflecting in the sky and you can't really see yeah. um, the constellations and stuff. But right. like here it is breathtaking when you actually see what's above you. Yeah. There's no light pollution. So you can see the Milky Way. You can see all the planets and uh, all the constellations. Yeah. That's been great. And another um, pretty incredible thing to see has been just to witness the amount of wildlife in the area. I think one of the first things we spotted pretty early on were a multitude of pheasants. <laughs> so favorite. many pheasants. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they're on our property. They will just like walk around the property and be like, yeah, are you going to feed me? <laughs> they're very hungry, it seems. Uh, <laughs> and they're bold. They'll, they'll, I mean, they'll run away if they see you for the most part. But like, I was surprised by how many you'd see on the road. Like, they're not scared when they're on the road. I'll be driving down like a pretty narrow road. And uh, in, in the span of like nine minutes, I'll pass one or two, sometimes even three pheasants that are just hanging out on the side of the road, seemingly looking like they want to get a ride. They're like hitch- hitchhiking. <laughs> yeah. So lots of pheasants. Um, we discovered they have actually quite a short lifespan, which oh, is the worst. Um, quite sad, but um, great to have them on the property and in the area. And we like to throw out some seed for them and, you know, just try to have a welcoming space and yeah. encourage um than to feel like this is a safe place. Yeah. Um, and they've actually managed to, um, you know, be quite content, it seems, on the property, despite the fact that we have three big dogs. I right. mean, not that they would do anything other than just, like, run after them to say hi. Um, <laughs> but I don't think the pheasant But I don't think the pheasant wants be, to be friends. No. Um, and talking about the pheasant actually reminds me of our cat. The previous owners had told us that there was a cat that would turn up every few days and they would give a little bit of food, but it was too wild to be able to get a hold of it because they themselves had two cats, which they um, rehomed before they moved from the property. But they couldn't get this cat because it was like, don't come near me, but like, give me food. <laughs> so we were aware that there was a cat that might turn up every night again. And, and she did. She turned up and we'd leave her a little bit of food. And then she'd turn up a few days later again. And from there, she got a name. Barney, the barn cat. Because she was sleeping in the barn a lot. That's right. And uh, we have now made a successful bond with Barney, who has been upgraded to having her own cat bed in her back porch, which she chooses to sleep in and um, comes by for food night on a daily basis. And we've actually been upgraded to being allowed to pet her. That's right. I even pick her up sometimes, even though she doesn't like it. Good progress. Um, And she's coping okay with the dogs. I suppose she knows she can get away from them. Right. Always has the advantage. And, um, you know, living in a rural area, it is actually quite beneficial to have a cat on the property. So we're pretty happy to have her around. Yeah, we haven't had to encounter any mice or any sort of rodents so far. And I think it is we can attribute that purely to Barney. But she's quite a peculiar cat. Um, Just it it came to mind when we were talking about the pheasants. And it reminded me of the time that we threw out some um, nuts Nuts. for the pheasant. And um, out comes the pheasant pecking away. And then out comes Barney. Also eating the peanuts, um, which seems unusual for a cat. Um, And she was so close to the pheasant. They were just both out there pecking away at these peanuts in the ground. And it was a really unusual scene (laughs) to see. But great to see that she's not herself interested in the pheasants. No, both of them, like neither of them minded one another. They just very slowly 
as MSS pecked around the property, uh, weaving between each other to get all of the peanuts that they could. side of our house and like I, I was trying to uh, dog proof our yard as a whole um, trying to put fencing in and around areas where uh, the fence that was previously there was kind of weak or had vulnerabilities and I was focusing on one area it was kind of the end of the day it was getting dark and it was the last little bit of fencing that I needed to do and uh, I was hammering this like post into the dirt I didn't have any question of my security in this area. It was already fenced in. This was just a little bit of extra fencing. But as I was hammering the the post in, I heard this guttural, freakish growl. As I, I don't know. It sounded like a <laughs> demon. And I still don't know what the hell it was. I've never heard anything like it. But it scared the absolute shit out of me. And it was on the <laughs> direct opposite side of this very flimsy fence that I was trying to bolster up. Uh, and I bolted into the house and, uh, I do not linger in that area anymore. Um, and we tried to figure out what it could be. And we know that there's foxes. I don't think it was a fox. We know that there's badgers. There's badgers. Could be a badger. Could be a badger. I don't know what a badger sounds like. Or it could be a pine martin, which sounds terrifying as well. Yeah. This is the thing. We actually didn't know anything about pine martins until moving here. And the pine marten um, is actually native to Ireland and one of our rarest mammals. They're kind of like ferrets. They're in like the ferret family. Big scary ferret. Um, they were once common throughout all the counties, but by the 20th century, they were almost extinct here. However, there's been a recent surge and over the past decade in particular, they've expanded across Ireland. And we know that there are pine martens in our area and... We know this, unfortunately, because one of our neighbors actually had a lot of their chickens killed by, suspect we suspect, a pine marten. And when looking at what happened, you know, when you think about um, chickens being killed, you think often about a fox. But it turns out that in Ireland, the biggest killer of chickens is actually the pine marten, um, followed by the mink, then followed by the fox. So foxes kind of get a bad rap. They do. You know? And like a fox will come in and maybe kill one or two chickens and take the chicken with it because it's feeding itself or feeding its family. But the mink and pine marten will come in and kill all the chickens and just leave them. Just for fun. So, yeah, we that was a difficult um, lesson to learn in terms of understanding the fact that there are those risks. And the pine marten is protected. So you have to protect their homes and protect their environment. We ourselves are considering getting our own chickens and the experience of our neighbor has actually made us more aware of the risks, which means we will have to be researching much more carefully in terms of creating a safe space for our own chickens. Another animal that we've actually seen popping or uh, shall we say hopping around the property <laughs> has been an Irish hare. Yeah. We were blessed to see an Irish hare recently in the garden. I actually spotted him twice in the one day. So it was pretty magical to see. And man, they have long legs. They do. God, I can't say when the last time was I saw an Irish hare. I think I saw one a few years ago, actually at Dublin Airport of all places, like in one of the fields there. But uh, that's the last time I saw one, and it's so rare that you see them. So 
living out in the countryside has given us this real window into a lot of the you know the wildlife that does exist here on the island and it's been quite magical to be able to experience that not just the uh the animal wildlife either though Emma um have you seen any interesting flowers or plants why yes Jake I have <laughs> <laughs> um yeah with uh so many other people that have been expanding uh moving from the city to the countryside we're also now um, experiencing what it's like to take care of a garden. Um, that, I think, has been an experience for you, Jake, in terms of um, having to maintain a garden. Uh, yeah, maintain. I, I think the garden is, if it could scream, it would be screaming at the top of its <laughs> lungs for someone who's actually equipped to uh, take care of it, please. Yeah, So we, um, but we've been watching and waiting over spring because we moved in during the winter to see what kind of plant life is on the property and around the property. So we held off quite a while on cutting the grass because we wanted to give some of the wildflowers an opportunity to come through. And we also knew that was going to be good for the bee population. And when it came time to cut the grass, we then, you know, because we felt a little bit guilty about it, decided to try um, eating uh, dandelions. Which... We did not decide this. This was Emma's decision to <laughs> eat dandelions growing on our grass. Yeah, actually, look, you know, they are nutritional. They have great nutritional benefit. Um, you can eat them. They're totally edible, the stalks and the actual flower itself. So I took the heads of the dandelions and, and covered them in delicious uh, flour and seasoning and egg and fried them in butter, which honestly makes everything taste good. You could do that to like a pebble and it would still be delicious. I mean, it might be a bit of an exaggeration, but Only slightly. you can totally eat the dandelions. And um, I have been looking more and more at what um, wildflowers and what weeds even actually are edible, which is quite a lot. So it's good to be able to try and forage in your own garden where you know it's free from pesticides or anything else. And you know that it's safe to then eat. So we had that first. And then there was um, seeing what flowers would crop up and... We're quite lucky to discover that we have wild Irish primroses growing around sort of close to a riverbank, which is what they like. They like the shady, wet, dark areas where they crop out through like old bits of stone. It's like their favorite environment. But we didn't realize that these were actually primroses, which a long time ago used to be really common in Ireland, but are not so common anymore. So we're feeling pretty blessed to have them on our property. They're, uh, despite their name, they don't look like a rose at all, just in case anyone, uh, you might even have them in your own yard and not even notice. Yeah, I think the um, the Irish name is uh, Sarkeen, and they translate as being um, first rose um, or little rose, something along those lines in terms of the meaning behind the name, because they are an early spring flower, although as Jake says, they're not actually a rose. They're very leafy, I feel, and they have, uh, they're yellow, bright yellow. So kind of look around for something like that popping out of the stones. You might surprise yourself. Yeah, they're special in that um, they used to be used for a lot of herbal remedies um, in days gone by. And they also have a lot of history in terms of um, Irish folklore. They were considered a symbol of safety and protection, which is pretty great. Happy to have them here if that's what they symbolize. <laughs> um, and primroses placed on a doorstep were said to encourage the fairies to bless the house 
and all who lived there. So there is a rich history of primroses in Irish folklore, which made finding them on our property just that little bit more exciting. Um, another aspect of learning has been trying to take care of growing vegetables. Um, like many people who have recently moved to the countryside, we're taking a stab at trying to grow our own produce. And... Um, well, it started off as an ambitious project at the beginning of the year, but the very late frost has turned my attempts at growing a large vegetable patch into more of like a massacre of um, of seedlings that almost made it, but uh, did not in the end survive uh, the cold, which, no. yeah, it's been kind of a bit... A bit sad when you're growing them and then, you know, you're getting snow in May and it's like, why? Why is it snowing in May? This is meant to be a nice month. I want to mourn them, but at the same time, if they lived, we would just be eating them alive. So regardless of which yeah, way this went. Yeah, but at least, you know, they're, they've they've lived for something, Jake. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Uh, but so far, surviving is um, spinach, chard, lettuce, and peas. There will be lots of peas, perhaps carrots, and we're blessed in that the previous owners had planted rhubarb that we literally didn't have to do anything to, and it's just grown into like giant stalks, um, which we're going to be eating rhubarb crumble for the rest of the summer seemingly and beyond. We're going to have to start just gifting anyone that passes by rhubarb because there's just so much rhubarb growing out of the ground. And it's been interesting learning in terms of what what takes to the ground in Ireland and what doesn't. And understanding that rhubarb is actually really easy to grow, a totally hardy vegetable that, you know, once it takes, um, is going to just keep coming back every year. So there is a pro tip. If you have the space, rhubarb is a really easy vegetable to grow. We call it a vegetable, but it's really a dessert. It's weird. Yeah, it's a vegetable, but you use it in the same context you'd use a fruit, just like a tomato is a fruit, but you'd really only use it in the context that you'd use a vegetable. Yeah. I don't know why that makes sense. But uh, we also were looking at um, fruit trees. And I suppose, Jake, back in Los Angeles, fruit trees were really common, right? Yeah, you'd find all kinds. I mean, there's all all the citrus, of course, um, you know, lemons, limes, uh, oranges, of course. Um, and then you'd have your, I don't know, if I guess it is a fruit. Uh, this is another one, an avocado. Is it a fruit? Is it a vegetable? Mm. What the hell is that? Mm. It has a giant seed in it. Yeah, which I always thought the avocado trees, like just randomly in Los Angeles, were like insane. Like an avocado tree growing? No, yeah. you would never see that here. I, I don't. I don't know what to call it—a fruit or a vegetable. I, do, <laughs> I genuinely don't know. So whatever they are, they were really awesome to grow, uh, and you would never be able to grow that here and it's really upsetting to me yeah i mean imagine like avocados are so expensive here they are imagine they literally grow on trees <laughs> but yeah i suppose um did you have any fruit trees in the gardens when you were growing up yeah yeah we had uh an orange tree we had an avocado tree we had a fig tree which is another thing Ooh. i don't know if those will grow here but man figs are so 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 good oh passion fruit i know those would never grow here but those are those are like a bush it's odd they're like a viney bush and they have these they're like usually pink they're they're there's a, a a variety of different looking passion fruits but they have like a pink or orange outside and you open it up and it's filled with this like lush bright red squishy seedy gooey inside and it is so sweet and delicious and i'm so jealous i i i'm jealous of my childhood now <laughs> the and the flowers that you'd get along with the fruits 
are these like they look like something you'd see in like Hawaii. They're they probably are in Hawaii. I don't know, but they're very wow. tropical and colorful. They look like a like a like a tropical bird. Wow. Well, yeah, I don't think we can grow passion fruit here. Yeah. And certainly no citrus. Yeah, yeah. we were looking to see, you know, does citrus take um, in Ireland? And of course, it's too cold here. So uh, unless you want to put up a greenhouse, you're not going to be having any lemon trees. No, but you the, the one thing I've seen that you'd grow just as easily in L.A., which we would grow, uh, and you would grow here, would be um, strawberries. Oh, yeah, strawberries. And you'll also get a lot of wild blackberries here. Yeah, which I I mean, I never saw those back home, but here they're like practically anywhere there mm. there's it's surprising on the on along the roads you'll you'll see these bushes uh that will at a certain time of year turn into just like a bounty of delicious blackberries you'll find them all over the place here yeah even in belfast there was um some fields nearby where one time we spotted that the these were fruits and lo and behold they were blackberries and we used to go up around august time and pick some of them and make a pie we thought we were the only ones but then we found that like all the locals in the area yeah. would like you know come and scour these bushes as well we had to get there quick or else uh the 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 squishiest most delicious ones were mysteriously gone but yeah so it's been um there's that aspect to it but uh, no oranges or lemons for us or grapefruit um yeah. but we do have an apple tree in the property so there'll be apple pie aplenty at some point <sighs> i don't like apples <laughs> um and so i suppose when we're wrapping up this episode it's uh, reflecting on moving from the city to the countryside and you know the first few weeks it felt um felt kind of hard in the beginning in that you miss the convenience of the city you know like you can't just go out and buy a newspaper you have to get in the car and drive for however long to get somewhere to get a paper it's, it's just so much more work you can't just go pick up a coffee um, and I really missed pastries for like six weeks I pined after like a good croissant could not get a good croissant. There's like no croissants in the local village. They just don't exist. We have to go with frozen here. And... Yeah, and it's just not the same. It's just not the same. Um, I think actually I pleaded with Jake to go to the nearest town um, where there is a coffee shop that does like um, really great pastries and the coffee is really high standard. And I was just longingly looking at this page like every day just looking at it and dreaming of being able to get pastry again. Uh, I wasn't looking forward to having to literally peel off my robe in order to put on actual clothes <laughs> and get into a car and do that for a while. But yeah, I, I, suppose, I suppose that's the thing about um, working from home and also the fact that we're now living in such an isolated area. Uh, we don't have to take the pajamas off too often. No, uh, that has its ups and downs. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so for the first while, there there were some difficulties in missing that convenience, missing um, sort of the buzz of the city as well, and missing a lot of like our favorite restaurants and our favorite shops. And like, you can't get the same food delivered here in terms of even just from the grocery store, um, because they have a different um, list of products, because this is not the, the city and tastes are different out in the countryside. But after a while, it very much became home and we very much settled into the space and then it became really difficult 
to think about going back to the city. Yeah. Yeah, we had to return recently for a couple of errands and we putted off and putted off and putted off and did not want to go. Like, no matter for the fact that we would be able to go to all of our favorite places and pick up delicious things to take home, we can go to the Asian supermarket and get all of the great Asian food. No matter what it was that we added to the list of things we could do while back in the city, we still didn't want to go. Nope. Uh, And that that hasn't changed at all since even having gone there's not like you have the like oh now that i've went i really forgot how much i missed it it's really just like wow now that i went that really reaffirmed how much i <laughs> want to be really far away from that god yeah actually i feel the same way like the only thing that um that you really miss i think at this point is just your friends yeah you know like that's the social aspect the people that that we've left behind um, in the city. (laughs) But once um, the pandemic is over, which we all know that it's going to happen eventually, guys. Eventually, this this too shall end and um, we will be returning to to a new normal, I shall say. That's right. Um, But we're very much looking forward to being fully vaccinated soon. We are going to get in our first jabs really soon. Um, And then being able to invite our friends to her house in the countryside instead of having to go to Belfast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The other thing that I'm definitely not going to miss being this far away from civilization is uh, the upcoming 11th of July. Uh, We will not have to deal with all of the negative shit that comes along with living in the city, which is potentially having to endure a giant, dangerous, noxious bonfire. Yeah, I mean, that's... um, Actually, an interesting thing that you're raising because it's so Northern Ireland in that um, when we were considering where we were going to move to and we were looking at prospective houses, you know, we did have to actively look at what the 11th might be like in those areas um, because it's just, you know, it's not a good place to be around that time of year in terms of um, the bonfires and, you know, the parading and... The flag burning. Yeah, and just the, it's, hate, the hate. Yeah, it just, it's not exactly an inclusive time of year. Um, and, we you know, we, um, we used to live in an area where there was like a bonfire on our street and it really, really wasn't pleasant. You know, it is a, it's a hazard. Um, it's a risk to people and to their homes. Um, and, just yeah, so we we actively had to seek out um, the areas that we were looking at to be sure that we were going to move somewhere where we didn't have to experience you know some of the sectarianism that can be very clear around this time of year, and also just the constant flags everywhere too. I mean, Northern Ireland is a shared space, and I think it's really important that that's respected. Um, and flags here are used to mark out territory, and that's really disappointing that that's true. So. We find that place um, in that we ended up just going into the middle of nowhere where, you know, you'd be hard pressed to see anyone building a bonfire out here because there would be nobody at it. No, the only bonfires I've seen out here have been just like farmers burning like random farm stuff, which I'm all right with. 
yeah, farmers. Um, yeah, we have a whole new appreciation for farmers um, right. because they're great crack. And, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're really looking forward to um, learning learning from them, uh, learning how to take care of the property, which Jake yeah. is learning from some of our neighbors, um, but also looking forward to just having the crack in like whatever the local pub is, whenever we're finally able to go to it um, and spend time with the locals and just really put down our roots in this part of the country, which, you know, is... It does feel like County Fermanagh is a special place. And that brings us to a close on discussing what it's been like uh, moving from Los Angeles to Belfast to County Fermanagh. I have to say, um, Jake, I don't think that your parents imagined that you were going to transform into an Irish farmer. No, I can say uh, safely that they did not. And I have yet to fully uh, metamorphose into I don't know. I've seen you in a farmer's hat. And those little caps, you know, like a little farming what cap. Is it, like Frosty the Snowman where you, you put the hat on him and he suddenly turns into a magical living, breathing. Uh, yeah, snowman. I mean, when, when you have the cap on and you have the wellies on and you're out there, you know, doing the garden work. Yeah, you're getting pretty close. Once yeah. we have the, the chickens, that's, that's one right. step closer. And yeah. um, one of the neighbors was joking that they'll be back over in a few months and you'll have a whole herd of sheep and just have completely metamorphosized. Although I'd say we're probably closer to getting goats than sheep. Yeah. Well, after the last run-in with sheep, I'm a little scared of them. Oh, well, I guess we'll close with that one last story on um, the day where I was looking out of my office window and spotted in the middle of the road some sheep. Yeah, in the field opposite, there typically would be some sheep in the field. However, on this particular occasion, um, they appeared to have gotten out of the field and were just casually walking down the road, which, as we've already discussed, was not really a safe road. No. So we thought, okay, well, maybe we'll go see if we can do something about this. And we went out um, to our front garden to the sheep who were then eating the hedges at the front of our house (laughs) and coming up our driveway uh they were pretty cute um all walking around five of them i think in a little pack just pecking away at the hedges and so we thought okay well we'll we'll walk them towards their area and try and get them back in and so we're walking them they're running away from us of course um back towards the gate to their own field and um we notice that the gate is tied in a way that we can't open it and they must have gotten through a different area and we can't quite figure out how they got out of the field So it's pretty hard to figure out how to get them back into the field. And as Jake was getting closer and closer to these sheep, he started to get kind of a bit of a hostile look from one of them. The the big one. Uh, Sheep are a lot bigger up close than you'd expect, or at least than I'd expect. I had no experience with them. So uh, I thought they were these cute, squishy, fuzzy, you know, little gummy things. And this this little herd of them was kind of bottlenecked into an area that I guess they felt like they couldn't move because they couldn't go through the gate. And I was, you know, getting closer to see if I can try and help them. But I don't think the big one wanted help. Uh, He just started glaring at me and like taking a few steps closer to me and towards me. (laughs) Uh, And at that point I realized I should start backing up. And as I backed up, he just kept advancing and i was like okay the sheep wants to beat me up i'm getting out of here <laughs> yeah so um that can't happen you know sheep are friendly for the most part but you know they could also ram at you if they felt threatened or you know hostile towards you so um on that occasion we figured we could not get the sheep back into the field and instead i spent the afternoon calling around all of our neighbors we're all 
phoning everybody to try and locate the farmer as to who owned the sheep in order to get the sheep back into the field. And uh, while we were all doing that, they just casually went back in themselves. Yeah. But I mean, they did go a good ways. I saw them like wandering like half a mile up the road. And every night again, there would be a car and my heart would be like in my throat because yeah. I was so worried that a car was going to come down that road. And well, hit they'd one. have to like hit the brakes and like try to weave around them. And those sheep were definitely playing a risky game being yeah, out there. Yeah, they were. leave it there uh one last experience of what it's been like uh living in the countryside take care